It is Wednesday. Uh, what date is it? May 18th, 2022. This is Messiah Matters number 386. Late, but oh, so worth the wait. My name is Caleb Hegg. I know you can't see Rob, but I'm fixing that. How's it going, Rob? It's okay. I don't need to be seen. <laughs> uh, we've had I'm a day of it. I don't need to be seen. We've had a day of it, but that's okay. Hang on just a sec. I'm fixing it here. That's all right. Yeah, so uh, we've had a little bit of uh, technical problems, but that's okay. We're fixing it. We're getting it all good to go. And uh, yeah, how you been, Rob? Well, I'm a little flabbergasted by technology this morning. Last week, it was like your system. Today's yeah. my system. Yep. It'll it'll work. It's I probably sooner or later. A bunch of stuff. Sooner or later. Okay, I think I got you. I think I got you uh, up and running. Let's see. Let's see if people can uh, can actually see you. Uh, where are you at? All right. Uh, I'm yeah. So I'm fixing all this as we go, but uh, hopefully the conversation is going to be worth the wait. That's that's the real that's the real test there. Um, okay. Well, thank you everyone in the chat room who's been waiting for us to come online. Thank you everyone who's watching this later and enduring all of our video problems and um, all of our sound problems and and uh, all that kind of stuff. We appreciate it. Um, we've for the past couple of weeks we've been having some technical difficulties, and that's due to multiple different elements. Um, Rob's computer. Now Rob's on a new computer. Rob just got a new computer. Praise the Lord. Yes. Well, I, but the technical difficulty was I was trying to use my one I've been using for two years now, and I probably just need to update a bunch of the stuff on it. Yeah. But so here we we're are. Good. We're good. Uh, so yeah. Uh, I feel like we actually haven't done a show for a while, but we actually did a show last week, right? Didn't we? Yeah, we did. So, okay. <laughs> um, anything new? You Now you've been accepted to several different papers at SBL. Is that correct? Tell well, yeah. everyone well, about it. I did. Uh, <clears throat> we, we had the Pacific Northwest SBL the other day. That was a, a virtual conference. So I did a presentation there and that's a two-year deal. So basically it's a kind of a think tank. So you, you do your paper, they read, uh, they read it in advance. They give you feedback. It's like, it's like a 10 people or whatever. And there's someone who, who gives you a formal response. And then the next, so over this next year, the goal is to refine it, taking the feedback and have a, have that second go. And then they publish a volume. So what'd you present um, on? Uh, the book of Esther, uh, looking at how clothing, um, clothing and position inside the kingdom. And I zero in on some peculiarities in the Hebrew text and look at how some of the ancient Greek and Aramaic translations uh, tried to resolve the difficulty. Anyway, I, I like it. It, it was fun. It was, uh, I feel like I benefited a lot from the feedback that I got. And then you get um, uh, what, two papers at SBL at the regional or yeah, at the yeah, annual? Yeah. Yeah, Lord willing, when uh, in November, when our team goes to Denver, I have two papers, one for the Midrash section and one for the Masora section. And then um, 
I know on there's an Arab Shabbat that our team is planning to be in Colorado Springs. And I'm going to have an opportunity to meet some peeps, new people, and probably maybe see some people that we uh, saw last time down there in 2018. Yeah, it's going to be good. I had an idea for that for your dad. I emailed your dad early this morning and uh, he said, okay, that's a good idea. I'll think about it. Uh, so. Ooh, I can't hmm. wait. Yeah. I can't wait. All right, everybody. We're going to jump into this. If you want to be part of the conversation, do so. 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. We're actually getting an all new phone system at Tor Resource. That includes this number. We're trying to port it all, but uh, yeah, I'm going to try to keep that number the same. Um, you can also shoot us an email, chegatorresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. Go to torresource.com for all sorts of free stuff and to get stuff from our own Rob Vanhoff here. Uh, articles and audio and video and all sorts of great stuff. You can also uh, listen to past uh, episodes of Messiah Matters at messiahmatters.com. And finally, last but not least, don't forget to subscribe and like this video. It does help us, believe it or not. I know it seems weird to click a button helping us, but it actually does help. All right, let's jump into it. Last week, we talked about uh, a audio that we got from Love is Bigger. She is in the chat room uh, today, and uh, as she is every single week. Um, now, I, I clipped this audio, and I did so for time's sake, but she comes in. Basically, I wanted to get the part where she's saying that she's taking classes at Tour Resource Institute, shameless plug. Here we go. I've also been taking some Torah resource classes, and um, this this term, I am taking um, Tim Hegg's class, God's Self Revelation. It's a wonderful class. It's brought up, opened up a lot of things for me in in relation to my faith and my walk and the understanding of who Hashem is. And but my question to you guys is something that you, maybe you could dig into further: the relationship aspect of Hashem, the relational con- connection that we have with Him, um, because he, he wants to have a relationship with his, his Ruach, His Spirit that He gives us, and how we walk that out. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm just starting to see things in that, in that aspect as His revelation comes through the Spirit, of how He actually in- wants to interact with us, because He is a relation, relational God. And in that, He you know, because we breathe, we walk, we exist because he has created us to, to do so. But in relationship with him, in doing that, and I know that that's something that's been excused since the garden, since the fall, but it doesn't mean that he's changed, right? Because of his immutable character, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I was wondering if you could get into some discussion about the actual relationship that he wants to have with us, you know, because he says... You love because I first loved you. Yeah. Um, so I'm not exactly sure what part of the relational aspect we should talk about. Ultimately, uh, what we're talking about here is simply the gospel, right? God's in covenant relationship with man. This is why he creates man, uh, is to be in covenant relationship with him, to place him as the, the vassal over earth, essentially, right, over the garden. Uh, man breaks said relationship, said covenant, and then is is uh, expelled from the garden and the covenant, ultimately, right? And then uh, I, I'm, I'm a little 
So she says in her comment, I don't know if this was what she meant to say or not, but she says uh, that God wants to have a relationship with his spirit. And I, I would, I would maybe push on that a little bit. I think God wants to have a relationship with us, but he gives us his spirit so that we can be regenerated to conform to Christ. So the reason that we have the spirit is not because God wants to have a relationship with his spirit. He, it is his spirit. You can't separate God from the spirit, um, from his own spirit, which is why, uh, and now we get into Trinity, Trinity realms, right? The father has, it's the father's spirit and the son's spirit. So the father gives his spirit, the spirit of the son enters us and we conform then to the, uh, to the spirit of, obviously to the spirit of Christ and ultimately, we walk down the road of sanctification, which is becoming more and more like Christ. Uh, and this is done so that we can come back into covenant relationship with him. Uh, Rob? Yeah, I, that got my attention when, when she said that too. My assumption, though, was that she like started an idea and then shifted and started another idea. Right. And so I, even though she said have, have a relationship with his spirit, I thought it sounded to me like she abandoned one thought and then tried to start a new thought. So I right. don't know what she meant by that, but it's, I mean, it sounds like the, what, what she's asking about is uh, it reminds me of in first John and she cites first John uh, koinonia is the term used in Greek and in first John chapter one. And that is the, the message. This is the message that we have. What Caleb, what you're just talking about as a gospel that we have fellowship with the father, right? We have fellowship with God and the desire in first the epistle of first John is, is to say, this is the nature of our, of our fellowship. We have fellowship with one another. We share the same spirit. It's the spirit of the Messiah. And, and there is no unity it, uh, outside of Messiah for, you, you know, there's no, there's no other religion. There's no other path of personal development or right. any self-improvement that is able to even see the kingdom. Right. Uh, and so um, w- one of the things that also comes to mind, just listening to her voicemail is that, you know, I've pondered sometimes that it's difficult for believers to unknow, like to imagine that they didn't have faith, to try to understand the perspective of someone who didn't have faith. You know what I mean? Like we can speculate, well, what would it be like to be blind? Our best experience is to remember to remember what our life was like and the things before our repentance. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, like remember that darkness and go, oh my goodness. So that we get that sense of that shift between darkness to light. You know, we've been translated uh, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And I'm, you know, reminded also in the Torah, it, many times during the giving of, of the commandments, God says, and you will remember that you were a slave right? Not that you are a slave anymore, like you were, but you were a slave in Egypt and that there is a logic there of that, that that means you're not going to behave. You're going to, 
have a have a heart of empathy. You're gonna you're, you know the you know the plight, you know the difficulties, you know the the soul of a stranger, you know the soul of a of a slave, and that's something that informs our heart. But in terms of seeing the kingdom, and walking in faith, and walking in in trusting God for real, not not living our life as normal and sprinkling religious words on it right? or saying, I'm just going to go to church or synagogue and, and that'll cover my relationship with God. And then I'll go and do still be in the world. Paul says clearly, you know, we, we're to be renewed and transformed and that this is an ongoing worship. Our worship of God changes us. We are not fixed things. You, you know, even, even when we're called stones, we're called living stones. Right. Right. And, and the picture in scripture, again, with drawing on um, the Psalms is that we're trees that bear fruit, right? We go through seasons and we bear fruit and we get pruned and so that we become more fruitful. So um, we are on a path of maturing, of being more fruitful. And we don't arrive in, in our life to where all of a sudden we stop and I'm fully mature. I am, I am who I am now. I have nothing more to learn. I have no, no more growth. You know, God's got me right where he wants me. No, we, we, we are, we're living beings that have to grow. And as we grow, our understanding of God's grace increases. Our understanding of how awesome and mighty and majestic Messiah is be, becomes more sharpened and more, profound. Um, we become more humble because we recognize our depravity apart, you know, uh, from, from Messiah. So I don't know, I'm, I'm doing my best to respond, you know, from just the, the ideas that hearing the voicemail, uh, you know, what those brought up. So a couple of things in the chat room. Lee says, I think this question is best answered if we look at the hope of the resurrection at Christ's return. We have the down payment now and the fullness then. And then Love is Bigger, who's the one who left the voicemail. She says, so he is bringing us into Yeshua so we can have that relationship. Yeah. Uh, the, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit, you know... Actually, I think that this is, I, I know people are going to roll their eyes at this. I think this is actually one of the central um, aspects of a Calvinistic or a Doctrines of Grace uh, uh, understanding in, in, that the, the fall of man, and, and this might be the case for the Arminian perspective as well. Maybe I shouldn't uh, just try to box it, but <clears throat> the notion that we, uh, that sin actually affects us so greatly that we are unable to come to Christ on our own, right? That uh, we need God to actually give us the Spirit, so that we, so that our hearts are turned from stone to flesh, and then can respond to to God. Now, this is certainly at those final statements. You know, that final uh, exclamation point on the end of that statement is, in fact, doctrines of grace, right? I think that the, I think that the, uh, the Arminian perspective would be and. Once again, correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, but I think that the Armenian perspective would be that God gives everyone in the world enough grace to bring them up to equal 
and uh, you know, and and then they, they up to free will essentially, and then they have the ability to respond. But ultimately, uh, uh, the reason that that rings true to me is because I I believe that the Holy Spirit is given to those to be able to respond to the call of the gospel message, um, and that and that that giving of the Spirit is ir- irresistible. That the uh, that those who are given the Spirit. And then love is bigger, hence the doctrine of the Trinity. Exactly. And this is ultimately where the doctrine of the Trinity really uh, takes full shape, in my opinion. Uh, you know, it's this, it's this beautiful relationship of God uh, working with us uh, and, and enabling us to be able to work. Uh, and- yeah, you know, and she, she also uh, quoted First John where he says, you know, he first loved us. And this is so important because Paul makes this point in Romans 7, Romans 8, in Galatians chapter 2, that he says he loved me and he gave himself for me. Right. So Paul understands that he, he, even before he even knew who Yeshua was, he was an, he was an object of Yeshua's love. And that's before Yeshua went to the cross. So Paul is saying, I am crucified with Christ. He means I went to the cross with Yeshua because my sins were were attached to him by his love for me. And he went to the cross and that's how that died. And he makes the same point in Romans 7, that it's that to be to be reckoned as belonging to Messiah is an amazing uh, an amazing feat, but it's not, it's not something we do. It's, it's something Yeshua did. Um, and uh, that's, we are bound to him by his love, right? We belong to him. And so if we belong to him in his death, he took us through to the other side and we belong to him in his resurrection. So that, so Lee's point about the resurrection, we have the, the fruits of it, the first fruits of it now with our new life, even though we're still in this world, but yet we anticipate a, a bodily resurrection, which is that, of course, that glorious body, not uh, not the same old, same old broken body. Boy, we've been Lots all of, over the place. Trinity, yeah. doctrines of grace, resurrection, hope in the resurrection. Uh, <laughs> if you want to tell us how much you disagree with us, 253-465-3205. You can also shoot us an email, cheguitorresource.com. Don't forget to subscribe. Okay, let's move on. That was a uh, thank you for the uh, for the voicemail. Love is bigger. Um, let me go to my notes. This comes from Cameron. This was actually sent to us. I don't know months ago, but uh, I thought this was really an interesting email. Uh, a question to ask, given some of the uh, things that I've been talking to my son about and some of the preparations that I'm doing for an interview coming up soon. Cameron writes in, he says, Why does Paul bring up the issue of Jews not being sinners and juxtapose that to Gentiles who are from Galatians in two, or uh, who are from Galatia in Galatians 2.15? Also, along with that, what are any arguments from mainstream Christianity on this verse, and how is what I see as a very large point overlooked when condemning those of us who would say that the commands are an obligation because of and from a place of love for Messiah? So let's go to Galatians. 
2.15. I'm sure that Rob already has it memorized, so he can just go ahead and rattle that off whenever he wants. I should probably pull it up, though. Let me do Justified that. by faith, we are, I'm starting in 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Rob, you want to take this? I'm going to look up another. Sorry, I'm still trying to find it. We're in Galatians 2. 2, yep. You can tell how prepared we are. Um, Actually, the, the preparation that I did for this is actually in a different verse or in a different passage. So I'm actually looking that up right now. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting is the different uses of uh, the word Gentile throughout scriptures, right? So Gentiles mm-hmm. are seen in good lights, in a good light. Um, yeah. And and Lee hits the nail on the head on this, by the way, uh, in the chat room, he says, uh, he just means the Jews were not born into idolatry. In this passage, he does. That's correct. But Listen to what he says, for instance, in Ephesians 17 through 20. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So here what we see is we see Gentiles being used almost as unbelievers. That term is being used as unbelievers. Yet in Romans, he uses Gentiles as the people who are who are saved, not over and against, but they've accepted Christ. The Gentiles have accepted Christ over the Jews. And it's interesting because certain people will say, well, the Gentiles in Romans is the church. And so in his different letters, Paul uses the term Gentiles very differently. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? Yeah. But Context I, is always crucial. Right. Back to back to 2.15, Galatians. Yep. So, um, yeah, this is one of those. I've only got the Greek in front of me, but I know that the there's a lot of different English translations. So I think one of those Bible hub or Bible gateways, you can pull up like all 50 or plus English translations. So that's always a good thing to do. Um, but if, if I heard you right from what Lee said, yeah, he, he's saying, he's saying we by nature are Jews and, uh, and we are not, we are not sinners from among the Gentiles. So the, one of the core points here is that, People are feeling that to be Jewish is to be something special that you, that somehow you obtain, you obtain through works to become the ideal Jewish male that has to be performed through uh, obeying the traditions of the elders through uh, uh, obeying the traditions of the fathers. And this is against conversion to say, look, Paul's saying, look, to be Jewish just means is by nature, right? To be a Jewish person is just something you were like Caleb just said, you're just, it's just a matter of birth. It's not a matter of performance. You don't perform your way to being a Jew, but we know that there, there are Gentiles in the messianic movement who paid some rabbi, you know, and converted, quote unquote, to become Jewish. Now they think they're Jewish. 
And they've got... And they know, down Gentiles for being Gentiles. They tell Gentiles, you're not supposed to keep the, the laws. Yeah, yeah. Now I, now I keep... See, I, I jumped the fence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jumped the fence. I jumped the fence. So now all these commandments are for me. But you, you just stay Gentile. But I could... Yeah, it's so silly. Um, but the point is here, they don't understand Galatians 2.15. Like, look, if you weren't, you know, don't, if you're, if you're worried about this ethnic label, you've missed the gospel. Right. Yes. At the end of Galatians 3, he says, Jew, Greek, he says, all these categories, these are categories of comp- a competitive performance. I, look at me. And Paul made that point in Galatians 1. He said, I excelled. I was above all my peers. I was so zealous. I was persecuting the church. I was, I was super zealous for the traditions of the fathers. And it was all living a lifestyle sprinkled with words of scripture here and there, right? He thought it was, you know, it's like in the gospel of John, I think, you know, they'll kick you out of the synagogue and they're believing they're doing God a favor, right? right. And it's like, that's how scary Sin is. Sin is so subtle, so sneaky, it'll get right in there. And that's why Paul makes that argument in Romans 7 and elsewhere. He's like, look, sin is a a sneaky little devil, right? Um, Because people will, they're going to think that they're righteous real quickly, and it's the flesh. Right. And only in Yeshua. I mean, you know, Paul, Paul, Paul in Galatians 1 and 2 uses the word apocalypsis, revelation, to talk about the transformation of what, when Messiah turned the lights on, said, you're mine. Guess what? Right. You're mine. Paul's like, like, he just, you know, he got pulled out of this world he was in, and he got put in a new world, and his eyes were different. His eyes were opened to the truth of who Yeshua was, is. And he went, he said, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. I, did, I went down to Arabia and hung out for a while. I had to like do some math. Like I had to like rethink all the stuff I'd been taught and, and figure out what's the good stuff and what are the, what are the seeds, you know, or, you know, or separate the, the wheat from the chaff in terms of what he had, he had learned. But he came back strong. I mean, we, we, uh, Paul is such a, such a bold, mighty, clear force for, uh, for the, that first generation of believers. And he's hard to understand at times. We know, we know that. There is a couple of really good comments here in the chat room. We're going to go all over the place at this point. Uh, Tanner says, I think it also sharpens his rebuke of Peter. It intensifies his accusation that Peter is being hypocritical in in uh, behaving the way pagans do. Exactly. Uh, The John 17 Project says, this is uh, relevant considering a post on the Torah Resource Facebook page making the point that there is only one way of sanctification. A comment said that Gentiles had to become Jews in that case. Heresy, I say. This is heresy. Um, and then Love is Bigger goes back to our previous, our first conversation. She says, uh, I was, uh, I was referenced, I was paraphrasing James 4, 5. And then she quotes it. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? 
quote, he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, James 5, 4 NASB. Oh, um, okay, okay. Uh, that <laughs> oh. Let's look at that. Let's look at that. Please. That might be what, what uh, Love is Bigger was citing. This is, is what she was saying. James 4. I read that differently. That's another one of those verses that that you want to pull up um, in one of those English, you know, Bible hubs and look at the the varieties of of translation. Yeah, I noticed that the ESV does not have capital S. Right. He yearns right. jealously over the small letter S spirit. Well, the que- the problem is this is top tapnuma in Greek, it could be the it could be read in two ways. It could be uh the subject in the nominative case, or it could be read as the accusative. I take the spirit as the subject. That the spirit that he caused to dwell in us um yearns against envy. And this is paralleled to uh like Galatians uh, is it Galatians five, you know, that, that these are ant, uh, against each other, the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. And, and you can't just do whatever you want, right. You know, that whole passage. Sure. Um, but if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I believe that's what James is saying here, that it's the, the subject of that phrase in my view is top pneuma, uh, the spirit that, that he caused to dwell in us um, uh, yearns for God against, against the, the enmity. Like, um, and so uh, this fits in with what James talks about earlier in his epistle of he's contrasting wisdom from above versus wisdom from this world. And the spirit that he's given us the implanted and grafted word, as he calls it in chapter one, desires the wisdom. It discerns the wisdom from heaven and desires it and wants it above all things. And so that's the, that's the proverbial wisdom of with all you're getting, get wisdom, right? Acquire wisdom. And, and that's the same message that Yeshua gives. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, following Yeshua means there's a mandate to get your, get our priorities straight. We have to, and that's personally in our families, in our, in our communities, right. In our relationships. But first and foremost, if, if I'm Caleb, if I don't have my, my uh, relationships, if my, or my priorities are all a mess, let's say, but I come to you and I, I criticize you for something. That's the picture where I've got this plank in my eye. <laughs> and I'm coming to you and I'm like, no, seriously, man, let me help you with that spec. Like I, my responsibility in Messiah is I got to get that log out of my own eye. That's, that's the major work. And then, and then I'll be able to see clearly and I can help a brother, but it's not hypocritical help. It's, it's, it's genuine love born of knowing the struggle, knowing the deceptiveness of sin and a desire to to share shalom, a desire to share grace. Well, that's yes. all I'm going to say about that. 
That's all I got to say about that. Um, Good stuff. Okay. Yeah, that, that James, the James four or five is a, is one to look at. Look at the uh, all the varieties of translations because it's not easy. It's it's not super clear. There, there's more than one way to read the Greek. I have nothing to say about that. I think uh, I certainly acquiesce to my uh, Greek teacher on this one, and that is Rob. So he's right. There you um, have it. Okay. I want to move on. This came in. This was actually the person ends up giving a link uh, to something that um, Tovia Singer did. Oh, for those who don't know, let's, who Tovia let's all Singer go watch is, it. <laughs> let's not. For not. those who don't know who Tovia Singer is, and I know that we've re, uh, we've we've gained uh, quite a few, actually, hundred subscribers in the past uh, month or two, and so welcome to all of our new subscribers. Uh, for those who don't know who Tovia Singer is, Tovia Singer is an anti-missionary. And what that means is that he is a non-believing Jew. He has made it his life's mission, and this is no joke, his life's mission to discredit Christianity, discredit Christians, discredit missionaries, and to basically poke holes in the uh, apostolic scriptures or, or what is commonly known as the New Testament. The problem is, is that he is really bad at this. He's like, he's like, and, and, Basically, what he's had to resort to is just lying to his audience because he thinks that they're not smart enough to realize that he's lying. And unfortunately, most of the time, they don't check. They don't they have no he's right. That's the unfortunate part. So um, we've said it once. We'll say it many times. Tovia Singer is just straight dishonest about his uh, about his his treatment of all of the scriptures, not just the New Testament, by the way. Uh, he's dishonest about his, I mean, if you, if you hear his exposition on Isaiah 53, it's uh, it's very interesting. It's not right, but it's very interesting how he tries to twist it. Anyway, all of that to say, that's just a little bit of a background for any of our new listeners on who Tovia Singer is. So this person has written in and uh, asked a question because Tovia Singer has apparently uh, made some kind of odd claim. This is what Abel or Abel, I'm not sure how he pronounces his names. This is what he says. He says, I hope you are both doing good. I have a question concerning the way of death of Yeshua. Why was he crucified instead of being stoned by the Jews, like Stephen in Acts, or like the adulterous woman in the Gospel of John? For those who have been with us for quite some time, we've talked about both of these passages before the adulterous woman and uh, uh, Stephen's stoning. Uh, the first thing that I would note is that uh, Yeshua, Jesus, was not stoned because the Jews didn't kill him. He was crucified because Rome killed him. Uh, why was... Now, this gets into speculation, but why was uh, Stephen stoned by the Jews, and why didn't the Jews just stone Yeshua? I think it was a high-profile case. In other words, I think the Jews knew that if they killed Yeshua, Rome would have found out about it. And if Rome found out about it, uh, Israel or the Jews would have been in major trouble. <clears throat> they were not allowed to, to exact capital punishment on anyone. Um, they were allowed to do certain things. The only time they were allowed to exact capital punishment is if someone who was not Jewish or someone who was unclean entered into the uh, sanctuary of the temple. Uh, if they crossed the threshold, uh, no longer did Rome have jurisdiction. We even see this in uh, in Acts 21, right? The Jews actually take Paul out of the temple and hand him to the Roman soldiers who come down, I think, from 
the Antonian Fortress. Anyway, all of that to say, uh, Yeshua was too much of a high-profile case. He'd been in the in the uh, temple. He had taught in the temple many times. He had a huge following by this point. And a lot of the people in Jerusalem at the time knew of Yeshua and were following Yeshua, right? Um, he had uh, thousands of people in the desert sit down and, and he fed them bread and fish. Uh, we would think that at the festival of Passover that there would be even more people who had been affected by his ministry. And so the notion that the Jews would just kill him, uh, that wouldn't have worked. I'm pretty convinced, and uh, I could certainly be wrong at this. I, as my father always says, I wouldn't fall on my sword for this belief. Um, it, I'm pretty convinced that the Jews figured since they had Stephen in the temple, because he was in front of the Jerusalem council, essentially, because they had him in that place, they could claim that he had crossed the threshold if they wanted to. But they couldn't do that with Yeshua, um, or that he had profaned that cross the th- threshold. Whether or not, anyway, um, whether or not uh, he was allowed in the temple, first of all, or if he was allowed in the temple, whether or not, which I'm not convinced of, but whether or not he was uh, had profaned it. So in some way, profaned the sanctuary. They could claim he had done that, and then uh, say, "Well, we we stoned him because he, you know, we had jurisdiction here." So that's my. That's my belief, uh, is that Rome uh, had to kill Yeshua because he was too high profile. Before we move to uh, another one of those passages, what, what is your thought on on all of that? Yeah, along the same lines, I think you did a good job, Caleb. I think that Yeshua, as you pointed out, was teaching in the temple, teaching in synagogues all over, that the leaders of Israel wanted they wanted to earn credit with Rome by saying, right. Hey, look, we've got one of these, these uh, rebel leaders. Um, take it easy on us as a people. We'll hand him over to you just to, and then ever it'll be a public execution and people will see, don't, don't do what this guy did. And we'll, we'll continue to pay our tributes. Right. I mean, it was yep. all it, it was all this uh, performance game, but and this back to Galatians three. Um, this was poking themselves in the eye because uh, this is how Yeshua became a curse, right? <clears throat> was by being hung on a tree, yep. and Paul cites that in Galatians. That's that's that is the twist because Yeshua <laughs> yeah. had no. There, there is no way for Yeshua to have become a curse. He never sinned. He, he, it didn't matter if they, they, they had no power. He could have instantly called, you know, he could have had 12 legions of angels, did he say? I mean, there's nothing could kill Yeshua, right? He would essentially live forever. I mean, he, he, he had no sin. There, but he, the father says, you, you know, it was the father's will. And this was his uh how he became a curse for us not but not for himself he didn't become a curse for his own sin he became that a curse for our sin for the sin of his people for this you know that's why he says his he shall call him jesus he will save his people from their sins let's talk real quick about the adulterous woman in john which is referenced in this comment as well We've talked about this numerous times. Did you did you uh, talk to Dr. Wallace about that one? 
Yeah. Wallace famously has said that, uh, and he said this to me too when I interviewed him, Dr. Wallace famously has said that the uh, adulterous woman story is, is his favorite story not in the Bible. And I think he's right. The adulterous woman story is not in any one of the early manuscripts. It is in different books. No one. Uh, it seems I think it's in though, Luke, isn't it? In one manuscript, right? In, and and Doctor Wallace told in. me that in one manuscript that he found, someone was so upset that the adulterous woman was not in the manuscript that they literally took the man the manuscript, they cut it, and they sewed in the section of the adulterous woman. So. Um, all of this to say that uh, it, and Wallace agrees that it was probably uh, in some form a story of Christ here on earth, that he probably interacted with some woman who did something, whether it was adultery or something else, who knows, um, and that uh, it was probably some kind of an oral tradition that continued to, to go on, um, and that later people were upset that it hadn't made it into the canon. And so this is why uh, it's inserted in later manuscripts. However, uh, the possibility of this being original is uh, slim at best and very unlikely. Uh, it's it's just not it's not a canonical story. Now, is there truth to the story? Absolutely. Um, I would say that there is some truth to that story in one way, shape, or form. Um, but people to, to try to use the adulterous woman story to build doctrine off of is actually very difficult because if it's not canonical, if it's not breathed out by the Holy Spirit to be in our canon, then there could be flaws in that story. It could be that she was practicing idolatry instead of, uh, you know, uh, adultery. It could be that she was, that something else had, maybe she stole well, something. Well, yeah, the, who, it's who also not clear, where's the guy? Right. Right? If there's adultery, they both get the death penalty. Right. If it's rape, he gets the death penalty and she doesn't. Right. I mean, there and if or is this just a setup? Do they do they just have something out for this woman that you know? There's a lot of stuff that's not clear. Now he says, "Go and sin no more," so he's not saying that uh, she was innocent. But it's uh, the point of the story. The way I take it is is where Yeshua's words convict their heart that they are not without sin. Those who were ready to throw stones and kill her, um, each of them dropped their stones and walked away, right? It's a, it's a play on the take your, take the log out of your own eye before you take the splinter out of someone else's, I, I think. But uh, obviously with, with a completely different surrounding, right? Ultimately, Yeshua on this earth, in the role that he had come in, did not have the power to condemn that woman anyway. I know that sounds weird because he's the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. I'm not diminishing who Christ is. What I'm saying is, is that he didn't come as a judge. He didn't come as a king. He didn't come, he came as a servant. So to bring a, a woman before him and say, rule on this in a, you know, for capital punishment, that's outside of the Torah in and of itself. If he would have said anything uh, like, yeah, stoner, he would have been guilty of, going against Torah because he didn't have the authority, the earthly authority at that time to be able to do that. Well, there's other parallels to what you're saying where the brothers come and they have an inheritance issue. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, here's Yeshua, you know, in the flesh. <laughs> and they're like, Hey, can you help us, you know, sort out this inheritance <laughs> dispute? Right. But you know, it, it, 
is well, it's the Well, it's the Pharisees trying to trap him, though, right? I mean, they yeah, continue yeah, yeah. To, to ask him rulings, which which I yeah. think— Should don't, we don't, pay to Caesar or not? Right. And, you know, who's, whose wife is this going to be in the kingdom? The, the point, I think, is not—and is not, uh, I need to be careful because the point might not be that they're actually trying to get him to say yes, stone her, and then they were going to go stone her. But rather, what would you—maybe the question is more, what do you think the Torah would prescribe in this— you know, they're asking him about rulings of the law. And in that respect, I see where they would be coming from. In other words, but the problem is that they're trying to trap him. And so it's not honest anyway. And this isn't simply in the adulterous woman story, obviously. This is throughout scripture. They're constantly trying to back Yeshua into a corner so that they can accuse him of something. And uh, he's, obviously, he... I think Yeshua wrote the Torah, and I, I actually think that there was a, uh, you know, a pre-incarnate Yeshua on, on Mount Sinai. I know. Shocking, right? I'm probably going to get a ton of emails on that one. But uh, so I think he gave the Torah, so obviously he knows it. Anyway, okay, let's move on. Unless you have something else to say about that. No, no, good stuff. We're going to once again just uh, mm. allow Rob to take this next one. Uh, uh -oh. Paul only teaches that pistis is counted as dikaiosin. Dikaiosune. Dikaiosune. Sorry, it's in English. Uh, transliterated. A correct translation would be that allegiance or trusting obedience is counted as covenant faithfulness without becoming a Jew by works of the law. So... In one sentence, all true followers of Jesus are counted as faithful members in the in the covenant be, people without becoming Jews. As long as we continue in this state of allegiance, this is an important statement right here, we are considered faithful members of the covenant people. Hang on, I want to stop before we go on. Nobody does this. No one does this. As humans and as uh, fallen, sinful people, creatures... We all break the covenant, all of us. And so he says, as long as we continue in the state of allegiance, we are considered faithful members of the covenant people. In other words, no one is a covenant, is a member of the covenant people because we all sin. Anyway, going on with his comments, our sins are forgiven, but only if we continue in this state of allegiance, we will inherit the promise. Obedience is part of justifying true pistis, but the traditions of men narrowed down pistis to mere assent or belief, and therefore we have a great evangelical problem. The doctrine that faith alone saves as pinnacle of understanding and the plain text of the New Testament that warns not that not certain lifestyles are excluded, excluding from salvation, 1 Corinthians 6 uh, and 9 for further study. Anyway, so... Uh, then he references Matthew Bates. Okay, I just want to say this, and then I'm going to throw the. I said I said I would give it to Rob, but I'm going to say this. I understand the argument. I I do understand the argument that faith should be seen as allegiance, and I tend to agree with that. Allegiance to God, we give full allegiance. Our entire life is given over to to Christ and to living. As Augustine would say, as sojourners in this world, we are representatives of the kingdom. We are citizens of the kingdom. I'm all for that, full allegiance. But our full allegiance comes because God has changed our heart. 
It comes because we are covenant members, not that we have to strive to maintain covenant status. And this ultimately within the broader Torah movement, this is the huge misstep that so many people, not all, but so many people are making. They think if you don't keep the Sabbath, you're not saved. That's salvation. That's Pelagianism. That is straight Pelagianism. The idea that I have to work to gain my salvation. It's not like that. God makes us covenant members and then we maintain, then we continue to walk in that covenant. But here's the thing. Everybody, everybody breaks the covenant. Everybody does. So if allegiance is if we break allegiance, it takes us out of covenant membership, then guess what? We're constantly in and out of covenant membership every single day. That doesn't work. Okay, Rob. Um, yeah. So <laughs> we did, I don't, I don't remember what shows, uh, but probably maybe a hundred shows ago. Did it's, we do no, a- it's way farther than that. It's like 123 or something. I looked it up. Okay, so. Oh, I can look for- it up again. For this person, I don't remember the name. Uh, thanks for the note. But yeah, we we did a, an episode where we spent maybe 10 or 15 minutes maybe talking about that uh, Matthew Bates book, Salvation by Allegiance Alone, I think it's called. Um, and we talked about what I think are good points about it, but also problems. Uh, Caleb just went through, you know, one of the main points is like by shifting faith or faithfulness to allegiance. I guess there's a sense in some registers of English that it's a little more intense, right? Like if I say I'm faithful to someone, but if I say, oh, I have allegiance, there's a more militant kind of energy behind it. And I'm not against that. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to hate on that at all. But I, back to Isaiah 53 that we're talking about with the singer thing, all we like sheep have gone astray, turned everyone to his own way. Our iniquity on him was laid. Can you tell I'm, I'm, that's the uh, <laughs> the uh, Marty Getz <laughs> version, but but that's the that's the fact of the matter. The fact of the matter is not that. It, it, also, pistis is is the the glue that connects us with one another, not just what connects us with Messiah. So um, it's true that we abide in his faith, but it's his, it's Messiah's faithfulness. That is the glue that holds the body together. It's his power. It's it. Well, it says in Hebrews, he upholds all things by the word of his power. That's all in creation. So how much more is it his will that holds together and builds up the ecclesia? Um, and this goes back to uh, love is bigger's uh, reference to first John. Um where it says, even if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. So th- there are times where, or where Yeshua in the parables, you know, if someone, if one of the sheep goes astray, he goes and he gets it and he brings it back because he's the good shepherd. Right. Um, the, the goal of me as a disciple of Yeshua is not to try to be Yeshua. Like I, I'm never going to be the redeemer. <clears throat> I'm always going to be the redeemed. And there's a humility uh, and a magnification of Yeshua's glory in in just that knowledge and just understanding that he's the redeemer. Forever he will be the redeemer. There's no timeline in in the history of all creation where Yeshua will not be the redeemer and his his ecclesia 
not be the redeemed. Um, he's always going to have the scars, right? Those scars right. Are, are there. And, and he's the one that accomplished this. And so I just, there's just some of the language, like, like it flagged out to you, Caleb, there's just some of the terminology there that makes me a little suspicious. I, I don't know if, if this, if this was just, he was just typing on the fly or if this is well thought out, but the idea of as long as we remain in a state of, we have this, that that's just suspicious language to me. I would just encourage him to maybe rewrite that or to rethink about it. Um, because we can't, we, that's just saying it's, it's works. Like you just said, Caleb, I mean, that's like saying, I, it depends on me to do something. Here's, here's the thing is that it, it, look, when we talk about the difference between what I would consider to be the mainstream Christian view and what we uphold, which is uh, that the law or the Torah is for is the inheritance of all believers. It's not just something that we have to do. It's something we get to do. In other words, I'm a covenant member. I take great pride and joy in the fact that I have, uh, you know, my constitutional documents in my hand, right? That which is the Bible. So I, I I take great pride in that. Okay. But one of the, the schisms that we've seen within these two different competing views is that mainstream Christianity is going to look at those of us who hold to such a belief and say, you're legalistic. You believe that salvation is by works. Why is this such a sticking point for the church? It's because they have correctly and rightly understood the salvation from God and the justification from God. It is because they've understood that it's not a work that we do. And when I say they, I mean we, okay? The church at large, we have understood. We have understood that salvation is from God. And uh, this is, I mean, this is hashed out throughout history. You know, the police- This is the good news. <laughs> look, yeah, this, look yeah. the, why is it so good news? Is because the poor souls- like there is no other way out, right? The good news for the, the person who's trapped and can't do anything about it is that someone who understands the problem, who knows how to solve the problem is outside of the problem, That right? They're not part of the problem. They're outside and have the ability to come in, address the situation according to wisdom and bring your poor <laughs> tush out of that. Yep. And yeah. you're like, Whew. here's the thing is that the people thank who you, say, thank you, thank you, thank you, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, the people who say, if you don't keep the Sabbath or if you don't keep a kosher diet, or if you're not celebrating the biblical festivals, you're not saved. Those people, you have much bigger problems in your, in your walk with God than the notion that other people should be keeping the Sabbath and the festivals. Right. Cause that's different than saying Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you. I worship you. I want, I give you everything. Teach me your ways. Teaching me your ways, oh Lord. Give me, teach me wisdom. Help me understand my own foolishness so that I don't stumble. Help me to not cause other people to stumble at your word. Draw me Look, closer to you. Help me, you know, different approaches. I have now celebrated 34 Passovers in my life. I've celebrated 34 Shavuot, Pentecost. Did you? Nice. 34 Yom Kippur's, 34 Rosh Hashanahs, 34 Sukkot's, okay? 
and it strikes me every single year, every single year, it strikes me that I'm learning something new about Christ, about God, about Christ, and the covenants and, and salvation. I learn something new every single year. To me, that is an honor and a joy. Mm-hmm. So so if somebody else, if, if another believer says, I don't want to do that, okay, that's, I'm not trying to force anybody to do anything. But I think that as believers, when we do the things that are attached to our covenant with God, things that I believe God finds joy in us doing and wants us to do, then we're blessed by that. And the one thing that I want to do is, is help other believers who want to do that, not who don't want to do that. If you don't want to do that, I don't care. That's up to you. And that's between you and God. But those who want to do that, I want to help you. That's it. And so I, I think it's pretty, I mean, I get emails pretty much every day now. I get an email from somebody saying that, you know, something that I'm wrong about this or that, or, you know, that I'm spitting on the, the cross of Christ. I've gotten that one recently by telling people that they should keep this festivals. Okay, man, like whatever, that's between you and God. You do you, man, go do what, you know, whatever festival you need to do. But I, I find great joy and honor in doing the things that we, that I believe God has, has asked his believers to do. All right, that's it. We're going to leave it on that note. Uh, hopefully by next week, we'll have everything figured out. Congratulations, Rob, on a new computer. What a blessing. Same to me. Congratulations, me, on a new computer. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're happy that we're coming into the 21st century. Okay, thank you, everybody, in the chat room. Uh, I'll give everybody uh, some of this right here, 253-465-3205, 253-465-3205. You know, we haven't heard it in a long time. Let's hear it. Messiah Matters wants to hear from you. Leave us a comment, a question or two. Call 253-465-3205. You can also shoot us an email, chegatorresource.com, at C-H-E-G-G at resource.com. And finally, subscribe to this YouTube channel because it really does help us, and we certainly do appreciate it. All right, we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.